Welcome to Eco Chic, everybody. My name is Laura, and I am a graduate student studying climate science. Eco Chic is a fun place to talk about climate change and sustainability from a whole bunch of different angles, but also we're just sharing personal tips on how to be a more responsible citizen of the planet. If you are new to Eco Chic, welcome. I'm really, really excited to have you here. And if you are returning, it's good to see you again. If you enjoy this episode or if you enjoy listening to Eco Chic in general, please go ahead and leave me a rate and a review wherever your preferred listening platform is. I am everywhere you can find me, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, seriously, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Eco Chic. And it's just a really great way to get the word out and continue to support this podcast is just rating and reviewing and it takes no time and you can do it right in the app. So I really encourage all y'all to do that. I'm really excited to be sharing today's episode because it is our second happy hour episode on Eco Chic. So the first happy hour was episode 21. This will be episode 26. And if you're interested in going back and listening, the format of happy hour episodes is kind of new. The idea is that I invite some friends over, we have some drinks, and then we just get really deep into one particular topic when it comes to climate change and sustainability. So the first episode I recorded with some friends in Chicago, and we talked about energy, just different sources of renewables, ways that our American fuel system can really diversify. And for today's episode, I invited my friends Tristan and Liz over to talk really deeply about food. Beyond climate change, we get really into the socioeconomic issues associated with food deserts and farmers markets, access to fresh food, and then later on we get into food waste, issues concerning food abundance, and just the relationship that we as Americans have with food. So this was a really, really fun episode to record for me. Please let me know if you like these happy hour episodes, if you'd like to see more of them. They're a lot of fun for me, and the idea is that should just be you hanging out with your smart friends, talking about something that everyone's really passionate about, and something that impacts all of us on a different scale. So it should be a lot of fun while you're driving to listen to, or walking around, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, and it just should be you hanging out with your friends. So if you like them, let me know. Otherwise, let's get into today's episode with Tristan and Liz all about climate change and food. Well, welcome. Welcome, y'all. Thank you so much for drinking some drinks, hanging out today, talking about food. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. My name (laughs) is Tristan Smith. I'm Elizabeth Lantiel. Welcome to Cocktails and Climate Change. (laughs) Um, So we are all three in the same graduate program. We are all getting master's degrees in climate science and solutions. And I was really excited because Tristan and Liz are in the new cohort and are both really passionate about food. And I love to talk about food. So I'm really excited about this. I love food. Do y'all want to talk a little bit about like what your background is in food more broadly? Um, Waste, equity, et cetera. What you care about in the food space? Sure. Uh, I took a sustainable botany class Mm -hmm. first semester. And in that we focused a lot on sustainable farming practices, sustainable agriculture, what it means to, you know, reduce your waste and live in a sustainable aspect. And that really grew my interest in food and specifically food's impact on climate change. I did a 20 minute presentation on food waste and its impact specifically on climate change. And so I just grew a passion for that and I really enjoy the topic. Uh, I've worked in restaurants and So I feel like when it comes down to food, it's something that we can all 
uh, change and something that can really have a big impact. So. Yeah, so I did an internship with CUPE, Community and University Public Inquiry, and the Flagstaff Food Link, and that was basically focusing on food equity, specifically through Double Up Food Bucks, a program here in Flagstaff that allows people to kind of double their money at the farmer's market towards specifically fresh produce. And that really interested me into kind of the different ways we can, I guess, mitigate towards like um, the climate change issue of food equity and food waste and stuff. I don't think I've talked yet on the podcast about my background in food, um, which is not as academic as either of y'all, but I did work on a compost drop-off site proposal through our campus's Office of Sustainability over the summer. So I've always been interested in food. I care about food. I'm really into cooking, more specifically, is what I care about. Oh, yeah. And I know both of y'all are big cooks, so which is exciting. Um, but I didn't really start thinking about food waste until I got into this climate science program. And just like the idea of composting wasn't really something that I grew up thinking about. I didn't really know anything about compost until I went to college. I babysat for a family who had a little compost bin in their sink. And they taught me about compost, which was really exciting. But it wasn't really a thing where I grew up. We didn't have drop-off sites. We didn't really have like a pickup service. So that was like interesting for me. So in the last probably like three years, I've gotten really into the idea of like reducing waste and ways that we can think about food in a more sustainable manner. Like something that I think about a lot is like being really comfortable with the idea of an empty fridge, like using up everything before you go to the grocery store again, which is kind of not super accepted in our society. Like the idea of a really full fridge is just like the attractive American dream and it doesn't need to be because it's just wasteful. And I think they say something like 30, 40% of food that we buy actually goes to waste. Yeah. I think it's 40. 40%. Is it 40? It's like yeah. a huge yeah. percentage. And of what you buy actually goes to waste. And then thinking about a grocery store, we mm. also have this like weird concept of abundance in a grocery store where we buy a lot of produce and they use a lot of produce just to like fill up aisles and fill up bins. And something like, a similar amount, 40, 50% doesn't even get used, doesn't get eaten. It's just like ordered purely for aesthetics. Yeah. So food waste is kind of like a weird thing that we have in all aspects of our lives that we don't really think about. Which, so I'm glad that we're talking about food. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. Even in restaurants, I think it's big. Like people don't think about like, there's a certain amount of food you have to have left in order to take some home. And I think... A lot of people eat just like a little bit more or something so mm. they're like ah oh, it's not enough to take home but then like all that if every person eating does that then all that goes to waste which definitely adds up yeah what what i think is crazy is too is uh the idea of like the sell-by dates when i was doing my mm, presentation yeah. we like looked i looked specifically into sell-by dates and one thing that's surprising is that it's there's no regulations of sell-by dates. There's oh, no manufacturing regulations. Yeah. There's no like FDA regulations. It's completely up to whoever produces this product. They can put an arbitrary number. Uh, and there's not even any sort of uh, regulations in what they can say. So sometimes mm -hmm. you'll see uh, best buy, sell buy, buy, use buy, freshest buy, uh, yeah. freeze buy. And so there's all <laughs> these different terms. And so nobody actually knows when to discard food. Yeah. So like, for example, milk. Milk will have an expiration date that people will use, but that's actually the sell-by date. And so mm -hmm. market value actually has a shelf life from another week. 
but people will throw it out and that allows you to buy more and just keep continuing the cycle of buying, selling, wasting, and then over and over again, which I thought was super crazy. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought about expiration dates a little bit in like some medical sense. My mom's a nurse and growing up, there was always some things that she was like, you know, it doesn't really, if it's like, like Neosporin comes with an expiration date, like things that like are really not going to expire anytime soon. Um, so everything's required to have one, but mm-hmm. it's always a little bit arbitrary. Even if you get like a prescription from like the pharmacy, mm-hmm. the expiration date is within that year and it's just, it will last longer. Like yeah. they definitely kind of undershoot those and people really live by those. Like even with yogurt, like I see people throw out yogurt like the day it's expiring and it's like with something like that, it's in a way kind of almost already expired right and so it's like a, an extra day is not gonna hurt you yeah it's not gonna make or break you yeah um my thing with like things that people are nervous about throwing out is like I was listening I think I was listening to a podcast once or I read it somewhere or something but um whoever it was the author was advocating for just like when you have like a berry that is starting to get a little bit of mold on it and just like cut off that piece and eat the rest of the berry. And it was so interesting to me because I feel like there's a stigma of like, oh, one has gone bad, so everything has to be bad. Mm -hmm. One bad berry foils the box, whatever that (laughs) is. Yeah, it was something along those lines. Um, So I thought that was really interesting because they were just like, oh, if you just cut it off, you can eat the rest of it. And I was like, wow, so insightful, which it shouldn't be. Like it should be. Or with bread, people, you know, like Mm -hmm. the end is like moldy and people throw away the whole thing, but you can actually eat like the rest of the loaf if it doesn't have any mold on it. So no, yeah, totally. And on the idea of like using what you have, I wanted to talk a little bit about food equity and like the Mm -hmm. socioeconomic problems that we have around food. Um, so if y'all have any like insight on, I guess my biggest thing is like, what are our misconceptions with like acquiring food? I think a lot about food deserts. I've spent like a little bit of time studying food deserts. If you guys know anything about that, just an area that does not have supermarkets. It doesn't have access to fresh produce. And a lot of the time these food deserts are lower income areas. And what do you do? Like how do you get these people produce? How do you get them fresh food? Um, how do you make sure that it's affordable? You have to, like, use what you have, but also just, like, how do you get that in the first place? So if either of y'all have any, like, insight on that. Well, it's crazy. So in my sustainable bonding class, we learned about food deserts. And one of the girls that did a presentation on it, she showed uh, three overlapping maps. It was first food deserts in the United States, so you Mm -hmm. could kind of see where they are. The next was diabetes in the United States and obesity in the United States. And all three maps looked almost identical. Oh. So it's wow. really interesting to see like food deserts impacts not only uh, from like a climate level and everything, but yeah. on impacts on human health. And so it was crazy to see that because like you said, it's usually targeted, not targeted, but usually located in mm-hmm. lower income areas. And so uh, with food deserts, it's your access to groceries. So that's like, you know, safe ways, like bigger, you know, with mm-hmm. fresh produce. So what happens in these towns is they get stocked with convenience stores like gas stations, fast food, and that's what they consider access to food, not fresh food. So these not people are, yeah, <laughs> these people are getting access to, you know, the lowest nutritious level of food. And that's why you see these obesity and diabetes rates uh, skyrocket in these areas that are also strongly correlated with food deserts. 
So I thought that was like super crazy to see that it's like, you know, your access to just fresh groceries can really impact you in a larger scale. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you, Liz, did some work on the benefits of like SNAP benefits. Was that what it is? It's like doubling up. So like if you have the food stamps or SNAP benefits, um, there's a program called Double Up Food Bucks, which was based in Michigan, I believe. And they've had a lot of success with it there. And it's been brought to Flagstaff. And if you go to the farmer's market, you can essentially double up your money on fresh produce up to $20. So you can get $40 worth of fresh produce for $20, which I think is a great way to kind of break down those barriers and make it a lot more available to everybody. And definitely the biggest problem is people knowing about it. Not that many people know about it. There wasn't any kind of marketing strategies or anything behind it. And so I think that's another problem is there may be a lot of programs that can help, but just there isn't the money put into marketing it to people. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And I'm glad that you said the thing about marketing because I think that a lot of the problems we have in our society are just like educational. Mm -hmm. Just like, especially like we come from a climate science background, Mm -hmm. just like we have all the tools we need to combat everything. Mm -hmm. We just need to educate people on how to use them. So before we started recording, you mentioned buses, which I thought was a really interesting thing to talk about. If you want to like touch on that, the problems or the pros and cons with just bus systems. So for listeners who are not in Flagstaff, Arizona, we basically have what, two farmer's markets, one's on Saturday and then one's on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And they're on opposite sides of town. Um, and the Wednesday one is definitely the lower income area. Yeah. But it's not, I don't think, as popular as definitely. the Saturday, Sunday one. And it is indoors. It's, oh, is it really? I've yeah. never been to that one. If it's at the same location as last. Yeah, it's funny because I live right indoors. by Fourth Street, like by Sunnyside. Okay, and yeah. I have no idea where it is, to be quite honest. <laughs> I know it's definitely around. I've never been to the Wednesday one either, just because there's definitely kind of a stigma with like the Sunday mm-hmm. one. I feel like, as Laura put it, it's kind of bougie. Like yeah, you go, you get your crepes, like that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like it's not necessarily that welcoming if you're like there for kind of those reasons. And I think that's definitely hard. And with the parking fees now, you have to kind of pay to go there in a way. And if you don't have a car, it's much harder to access. You don't want to walk home with a bunch of groceries. And our bus system, it's good in some ways, but I feel like it doesn't reach community events in a way. And I think there should be schedules for things like the farmer's market that happen once every week just to allow people to get there. And they do tend to change the bus system very often. I remember I used to live in the Grove and there was a bus that went there and then right in the middle of the year they discontinued the bus line that went really? down yeah, that way. That, yeah. And so like then I couldn't take the bus so I had to walk every time. And it's hard to keep up on the bus schedules if they're changing every semester or every year. It's just kind of a lot to process and think about because you can't necessarily change where you live as often as that. So Right. Yeah, so that yeah, I was going to just say that that was like with food deserts, like you were mentioning, so like to bring it mm-hmm. back, it's the main issue was transportation. Like all these people, uh-huh. you know, have 
not a close enough distance to a grocery store. I mean, you could imagine maybe walking, but to carry, you know, a day's or week's worth of groceries in one trip or Mm -hmm. to go to the farmer's market and get your groceries and carry it back to wherever you're staying at the time. I mean, that seems to be one of the biggest issues is just, you know, access to those spheres of food and getting public transportation systems to match up to that. And I don't think there's necessarily not the funds to do it Mm -hmm. because... I don't know, for example, NAU has Safe Ride, or I think they might be discontinuing that, but they had a bus that used to go to the Grove late at night. It went till 11 or midnight, I believe, just to kind of bus people back and forth from there. So it was safer and you didn't have to walk back and forth. Or at they had an event at JCPenney on last Sunday, and it was they had a discount on like business professional clothes and stuff and when I went I saw there was a big NAU charter bus that took students all the way over to the mall to JCPenney to go and like kind of get the sale on those business clothes and I think they would have just as good a turnout if they had a bus going to the farmer's market every Sunday or something like that like I think there is the funds I just don't think they're gearing them towards that that's interesting yes I, I didn't know about that charter bus. So, yeah. like, the money is there, but it's just not necessarily, I don't know, I guess people are not bringing these issues being, to light. Yeah, being used. Because we don't, we don't live in a food desert. Like, we yeah. are very lucky no, to live in a place yeah. that has tons of grocery stores. Uh-huh. But it's interesting to think about the access you have to these grocery stores. And also just, like, farmer's markets more specifically is where y'all have mm-hmm. more expertise. Mm-hmm. And I am interested to hear about, like, the if either of you guys have like any um what's the word i'm looking for like maybe expertise in the stigma around farmers markets or like why people do or do not want to go so we talked a little bit about like the sunday farmers market is like relatively bougie Mm -hmm. a wednesday farmers market is not really welcoming to anyone because people work in the middle of the week and isn't it like in the middle of the day it's like from 12 to 4 or something something ridiculous like that where people really can't go yeah like i couldn't go if i wanted to not as doable definitely so besides like transportation what are some of the issues around farmers markets i know another main issue in flagstaff is it ends in october and doesn't start again till may so there's that whole span in the middle where, like, for fresh produce, you're just going to the grocery store, but that's not local. And that's also an issue here if it's snowing, you can't necessarily have, like, local produce because you can't grow in there. So I know there was kind of a push towards greenhouses and maybe, like, increasing the use of, the uses of greenhouses in Flagstaff in order to keep our food production up during the winter and then maybe keeping the Wednesday farmers market going throughout the year. That's and that was yeah, that was one kind of idea that we had to help with the situation. Yeah. Because I'm from Florida, I always forget that like snow impacts your <laughs> life. And I haven't really been here for a time that like the farmers market has closed. Yeah. And we just haven't had it. So I was thinking about like the idea of longevity in a farmer's market is interesting. Mm -hmm. And also like, I know Tristan, you have some background in like sustainable farming. Yeah. So like, what do farmers do for the rest of the year? Like, what do you, do you just not, this is probably the dumbest question I've ever asked in my life. You don't (laughs) farm things in the snow. So like, what can we do with that land and those farmers and like those resources? So that's the really tough thing about eating local is 
you kind of have to live in the right place sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when it comes to farming, a lot of it has to do with preserving food, and that's like what we did in my sustainable botany class. We learned on food dehydration, food canning, and the safety and precautions behind that. And so if you are doing some sort of local farming or local eating, what you want to do is know what's in season, know how long it's in season, and prepare that way. So you want to store up on your greens and... And like I said, uh, with sell-by dates, you want to know how long things are good for and the proper way to store it. And that's the bad thing and that's the issue with eating locally is not a lot of people know how to store things or how long they're good for. So you need to know proper storage techniques. And then what you do is you basically just ration it out. So over the spring and summer and a little bit of fall are going to be some of your best months of course, but towards the winter, you're going to want to can your tomatoes, you're going to want to dry some uh, fruits, you're going to want to bake pickles of some sort, you're going to want to do anything you can, and of course, refrigerate. You can do root cellars where you can pack carrots and potatoes and you keep them in a moist, cool environment, and that'll keep them healthy long enough. So what you want to do is know your proper storage and your proper uh, expiration dates and do it that way. Uh, we read in a book that in England, when World War II was happening, Germany tried to cut off all of the food uh, imports to Britain. So they had a huge food shortage. But one thing that they did is that they educated the public on how to com- uh, produce community gardens. So everyone started gardening. And they say, I forget if it's either two months or two years, but you always want to have that supply of food on you at all times, uh, prepared and safe to eat. So that's kind of the mindset you want to have is have like this amount of time of food ready to go so that like during the winter months or in that case when they were getting invaded, they have access to food. So I thought that was really interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. I don't really know a whole lot about canning. I like the idea of canning because it's like, honestly, it's like really cute. Like it would just be like great to have a ton of tomatoes in my freezer at all times just in really attractive cans or I love like <laughs> I love pickles I make yeah, a lot of pickles oh, no. pickles are my thing yeah. I do make a lot of pickles but I never really thought about it as like a means for survival which is kind of silly in retrospect like I mm. think about like yeah like a little bit of a tangent when I was in high school my friends and I were walking through the hallway and there was another there was a girl who had said that she'd been diagnosed with scurvy and we were like scurvy like a pirate's disease yeah. we were just talking about the idea of like pirates for a very long time that was like a big talk because all my friends were also really into food so we talked about like just canning and preserving things for a really long time and that was just like a really interesting you know senior year conversation that we dwelled on for a really long time so other than that i've never really thought about canning yeah i don't know i think food's crazy because it's something that's like in our everyday lives but people really know nothing about and and especially the relation to like farmers to food and you know, people don't even know that like a potato or carrots grown in the ground or that it flowers and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and so our relation with food and our waste of food is just crazy. And like, uh, not even just food waste specifically, but food miles. I don't know if you've heard of that. Like no, the idea of, you know, all these grocery stores, like you said, are overstocking these shelves full of tomatoes and uh, greens and stuff. And, you know, in the summertime, you're not going to always get the same stuff that yeah. you have in the wintertime. But as humans, we expect that. And so they're flying in places from South America during the winter so we can get our summer vegetables and then in the winter, vice versa. Uh, And, you know, that contributes to climate change because we're shipping and refrigerating all these veggies and fruits. So you're having these planes, you know, and 
uh, emit emissions flying it over and then you're putting it into trucks. Trucks are emitting emissions, then they're refrigerating these fruits, bringing them miles and miles away from where they're actually from. And so by the time you've eaten your one apple, it's already traveled like, you know, 9,000 miles. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I just, like, it's kind of wild to think, you know, our relation with food is just like, we just always see it and expect it at all times. And yeah. We forget the impacts it actually has. Yeah. I think about the impacts of food um, a lot of the time when I want to buy berries because... Mm-hmm. Again, I try to live as package-free as possible. Like, I don't produce a lot of trash. Like, I really do my best to avoid all plastic when it comes to grocery shopping. But is it better to buy a traditionally grown box of strawberries at the farmer's market that I can, like, bring home in my own container? Or should I just buy organic berries that come in a plastic box? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. The catch me two versus, like, local versus organic yeah. versus package-free or you know Mm -hmm. so it's kind of an interesting thing to think about when it comes to food and i think too it's tough for people because they feel like at a grocery store maybe there's a sale on the organic Mm -hmm. strawberries that week but then they go to the farmer's market and the local ones which have less emissions attached to it are like a dollar or two more expensive or something so it is better for the environment but it's also more expensive so it's kind of like the catch 22 like what should i do in that situation right it's yeah definitely (laughs) it's something to think about yeah and i don't again like i don't really have like an academic background in agriculture Mm -hmm. but i know that organic is better for the soil but it takes longer to grow so is it better to produce more food to feed more people with traditional agricultural techniques or is it better to just like go organic and take really good care of our earth as a climate scientist, I want to say organic, yeah. but it's like... No, going organic is always the path to go. Because mm-hmm. no matter what we do, my teacher always said that, like, especially in the environmental agriculture industry, a lot of things are uh, innocent until proven guilty, which okay. isn't necessarily a good thing. And so we have, like, GMOs and pesticides and herbicides that, although they necessarily don't have any impacts yet that we found, they're still being, you know, thrown on our foods. And eventually, you know, we're going to find out that it's going to screw us and our environment over. Like they were spraying DDT mm-hmm. on everything because they yeah. thought it was fine. And then it wasn't until something bad actually happened that they realized that they should stop. So but I don't know. it's a little late. Yeah. yeah. And it's already been so widely spread. And the argument between organic and local is that, I don't know, I would personally go local over organic because with organic, you actually have to have organic certification. And organic certification with the government is like a $5,000 per however size uh, farm you do. So a lot of local farmers that you see at the farmer's market can't advertise organic even though they're doing organic practices. Mm -hmm. And so you have that, you know, issue of the government owning a term and, you know, regulating it, which is great. But at the same time, it's hurting some of these smaller scale farmers. And. I don't know. I, I would try to go local because regardless, these people are probably still farming organically, which is great for our soil and for the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're just supporting local income too. With like the organic certification, I recently learned that the word natural has no like legal True. means Anything. to yeah. it. Like you could put natural on a box of Cheez-Its and like it's legal because there's no like 
I guess there's certification. Nothing there's nothing stopping you from just calling anything you want natural. So I think sometimes people think it like for, at Fry's and Flagstaff in each section, like in the chips, there's a section that's like got the green labels. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the stuff that's better for you and for the environment and they say natural, like some say organic, but you don't necessarily know if it says natural on it, if it's any better, if they just kind of did that as a marketing thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an interesting perspective on it. I'm glad you said that because I always think about that when I go to like, so I do my grocery shopping at um, the Flagstaff Farmer's Market on 4th Street, which Mm -hmm. is a misleading title because it it is neither of the (laughs) farmer's markets we have talked about. It's actually a standalone grocery store Uh and they just have a lot of produce. So that's where I go. And um, when I go to a regular grocery store that has like, brand name things in packaging i'm always so thrown off by the natural aisles first because i like never am around such abundance ever i'm always just like an aisle of barbecue sauce like incredible like yeah. i need to stare at it like but the other thing is like things like terra chips those always really throw me off because like i don't know anything about the terra chip brand mm-hmm. as you know as a company but just because it's made from sweet potatoes doesn't mean that it's like good for the environment you know what i mean <laughs> so it's just things like that that we talk about like um greenwashing in the grocery yeah, store that's is crazy. so like, interesting like seventh generation and stuff like that people just like throw like you know eco just you know without yeah. any anything eco because there's no regulation it's like they'll just be like we're really like natural and like great and happy <laughs> coloring of the packages yeah like, everything's clear they make and, like, it green yeah. and like kind of beige or like in the fonts like it's definitely a scheme yeah. Like, oh yeah they're all together absolutely yeah. <laughs> they think about this stuff <laughs> i think about that with like the toilet paper mm. like recycled quote-unquote toilet paper that also comes in plastic packaging i'm like all right what are we gonna what are we gonna care about here yeah. like we gotta pick one or um I don't know, I buy like bulk coffee and Mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing to think about because it's like, I want to buy a package free, but like, I know when I'm buying coffee, I don't know if either of y'all like know a whole lot about the coffee industry, but like there's differences in shade grown coffee Mm -hmm. versus, Mm -hmm. you know, like open field coffee or coffee that is fair trade certified versus not like, you know, there's a lot of things you have to think about of like where it's roasted and like, yeah, a lot of the time, like the things that you care about when it comes to environmentalism are not really like as in your face as you think they Mm -hmm. are. So it takes a lot of, again, education, like we talked about earlier on the bus systems. Um, When it comes to just like buying things, education on the labels. If we could just get like Mm -hmm. an infographic in every grocery aisle, that would be my ideal situation. Yeah. I know like with your, um, on NAU campus, how you said about the recycling bins and the trash cans in order to make everything uniform, did you say it would cost $500,000? Yeah, it's like incredibly Something expensive. crazy, but there is huge benefits to having a uniform system that allows people to make educated decisions quickly, which I think is really important to think about in not just recycling, but also like food and just everything. <laughs> Same with organic labeling too. There's like three different types of organic labeling you can have. It's like 100% organic, made, and then there's like organic and then made with organic ingredients. It's like 100% is 100% and then organic is 70% or more and then made with organic is 70% or less. But sometimes you'll just see plastered like organic and think you're buying organic, but really only like a couple things are organic. That's so interesting. Yeah. I I didn't know that at all. Yeah, no, shopping is like, so I'm crazy. rethinking like, my whole grocery list. <laughs> Honestly, you have to. <laughs> yeah, rethinking your grocery list is hard because like 
I want to shop as local as possible. I want to shop as package free as possible. But there's like mm-hmm. some things that you really can't be both. And there's some things that you really can't like make the best environmental choice if you're mm-hmm. going to also make the best choice for yeah. your community. Because like if I'm going to spend money at the farmer's market, I want that money to be going to someone in Flagstaff. I want yeah. at least like in Arizona. Yeah, you know, like my some, tomato guy yeah. comes up from Phoenix. And Obviously, yeah. I love him very That's deeply. also why it... To me, it's a little frustrating that the farmer's market ends in October and starts in May because quite a few of the people come from Phoenix or Tempe or Scottsdale, Mm -hmm. which like are year round growing or they're make they make guacamole or they Mm -hmm. make there's even a whole stand on like that sells canned goods like that have been like pickled and it's just like I feel like those kind of places could be extended a little farther than the few kind of yeah. summer months that they have them. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. I hadn't really thought yeah. about like the other stands of the produce, like of beyond the produce. Yeah. And they sell like dried apple chips, the people who sell apples, like they take some of the ones that aren't as pretty and make them into dried apple chips. And That's like, cool. yeah. And those that can be extended a lot yeah. longer than October and start earlier right. in May. So. And I'm so glad you just mentioned the things about like apples that are just like not as pretty get made into chips. The idea of ugly produce is like a whole different problem that we have to get into. (laughs) That is just like, what do you do when you have produce that's like not good enough for the grocery store? That's Mm -hmm. automatically part of the waste section. And that's like so unnecessary. There's a lot of like, I think attention being brought to ugly produce right now. Yeah. That is, you know, there's like those boxes you can get in the mail now that are just ugly yeah, produce. Yeah. Like cheaper discount. Right. Prices. For like a yeah. discount price. But then like, let's think about the carbon footprint of like that box that mm-hmm. got to you. Like how did it get there? Yeah. So the stigma around ugly produce is also something that I'm like really, really interested in. I just think it's crazy that we even regulate it in the first place. That yeah. like there's such strict standards on like what an apple that can be sold in a grocery store looks like. Yeah, like it has to be this size, like produces. this amount of bruises, <laughs> like this radius, like all this like it's just crazy. Like if you wanna buy a peach yeah. that's smaller than the next one, like who cares? Like why do all of them have yeah. to be the same size in every store I go to, like at every place in the world? Yeah. That I, go I feel to. like that would decrease food waste too because I don't know sometimes I don't always want that big of an apple or something and so I think it would stop people from wasting as much food if you could pick different sizes (laughs) no absolutely I think about like overly large apples also just make me nervous for GMO reasons but that's like I don't I don't know if I want to get into the GMO topic unless y'all are like really passionate about one side or the other I am for GMOs because yeah I mean It's 2018. We've got a lot of people on this planet Mm -hmm. that need to get fed. And I don't think it's a matter of, like, we don't have enough food to feed people. I think it's a matter of, like, our distribution system and how inefficiently we're using the food resources that we have now. So I'm all for Mm -hmm. GMOs. I did a project last year on biofortification of staple crops, which really kind of, I guess, turned me around on the GMO thing because they took things like sweet potatoes and corn and modified them to include more nutrients and I know they did a few projects where they brought them to like some villages and small towns in Africa and they gave the farmers seeds at no cost and they said like you can feel free to start growing your crops with these and I know they had a really big turnaround on just like deficiencies in vitamins in the kids and I think that we do like you said we're having a growing population and we do need to feed people somehow and you can't always have a farmer's market or 
local produce like that and so it is a way to have people be able to get all their nutrients without necessarily having all the variety mm-hmm. if that makes sense i completely feel that i'm on the fence of gmos like I don't, I don't know i understand the benefits but at the same time i mean there's a lot of bad things yeah. about gmos i mean mm-hmm. if, if you just see with like what it does you have these you create plants like a tomato plant mm-hmm. you create a gmo that makes it more pest resistant but these gmos also have no ability to respawn so now we're creating more we're we're creating more farmland, we're t- over-tilling, yeah. and so what's happening is rather than you know being able to repollinate and stuff like this, the natural cycle of a plant, we're going through half-life cycles. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's really playing a big impact, and then the ability to keep those alive, you always have to just pump fertilizer and pump ammonia into, and, and those are you know the bad sides of GMOs, and yeah. I do like the good sides of GMOs, making them more nutritious. Mm-hmm. A guy in my class did a thing about GMOs, that they're looking into potentially the aspect of uh, incorporating vaccines Ooh, in food and the idea of you know genetically modifying let's say like a banana or something yeah. to hold you know your basic flu and then you can just buy the banana and do it that way. So there is wow. like really cool ideas like that, but at the <laughs> wow, same time, never heard of that. You know, I don't know. At the yeah. same time, you don't necessarily know what the long term implications hold. That's and, very true. And, Yeah, all the studies I looked at, biofortification, they weren't, they just haven't been around that long. They've only been implemented for three or four years. And I I definitely looked more at biofortification than just GMOs in general. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I feel like I always hear like somebody say, oh, did you know like we're about to lose all our bananas or like something like that. And I'm just like, okay, I feel like people hear this so often. They're kind Mm -hmm. of. Like, that's why people don't have kind of a negative stigma towards GMOs because they're just like, every time they hear, I'm about to lose all my strawberries or stuff like that, which I get that side of it. Um, I looked at it more as a necessity kind of thing than like, I'm just here and I'm going to Safeway and I'm buying a GMO like strawberry or something like that. It was more like these people like will become like deathly ill if they don't get these nutrients and so like having this modified corn or potato will allow them to like keep living like it was more of a life or death not just like more of a plain god kind of scenario gmo is scary too because it's like the idea too before with plants you and seeds you can't just like trademark plants you can't trademark like a seed you can't do that because yeah. it just belongs to earth but with gmos if you can create a slight variance like like the only difference between this seed and this seed is that this seed germinates a week earlier mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. gmo'd that but then the second that goes into someone's farm or someone you know gets a hold of that without your access then that's a trademark infringement so then now with gmos you have the ability to trademark specific varieties and strains and like you, you know, you can create a yield of corn that grows the fastest and trademark that. So obviously, you're going to monopolize the whole corn right. industry. And so, you know, there's a really yeah. big kind of like, yes, it's good, but at the same time, it now gives the ability to 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 monetize something that's never been monetized before. That's so interesting. I hadn't really thought about like the legality. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, I, exactly. I know. I it's was kind just of, kind of. Like, <laughs> it helps. People. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. my argument with GMOs was always like, yes, it helps people and we don't know the long-term effects. But at the mm-hmm. same time, like, 
I sleep with my cell phone next to me. Like, yeah. I don't know the long-term no, effects of that. So like, that freaks mm-hmm. me out, yeah. too, sometimes. Yeah. I, like, plug it in next to my bed, and I'm like, all right, Laura. Like, Every day. <laughs> the whole blue light. Blue light throws me off. I don't know enough yeah. about blue light to know if I should care about it or not. Mm-hmm. My friend keeps her phone on. I guess there's a setting, so, yeah, like, the whole thing has a red tone to it. Interesting. And I was like... You feel like you look at your phone that much that <laughs> red makes that much of a difference. It's just I don't know. There's so many things we don't know the long term effects about yet. Do y'all have any like final thoughts on the food process? I was gonna ask mm-hmm. if we want to close out with like your number one thing that we should tackle when it comes to climate change and food. Like, ooh. Well, I I just have a fact that I've been trying to get out, Let's but go. I had not at the time. <laughs> Throw it. So imagine the biggest stadium in the United States, like the football, soccer, whatever, like uh-huh. the biggest stadium. Now imagine yeah. that stadium filled to the rim with food, like just to the, like the biggest stadium ever filled to the rim with food. Mm-hmm. That's how much we waste in food as Americans every single day. Not week, what? month, year, every single That's day. That is food wasted, and forty percent of food wasted is just completely edible oh my god wow and that's all and, and yet one in eight people are starving and so it's like i think the take-home message is like know what you, know what you need plan accordingly shop as local as you can and waste as least as you can like when we wow. learn like the reuse reduce it. recycle like reuse <laughs> the food you can recycle and compost the food you can and then if you need it go and buy something but it's like mm-hmm. think as consciously as you can that's a great, great visual. Yeah. Thank you it's so much for sharing about, that. Right? Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, my jaw dropped like the first time I heard that. I was like, wow. Especially in a day, that's just like wild to think yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Wow. See. Okay. I got to top that, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll go with a statistic too then. I recently read in one of the books we're reading for class actually, our drawdown book, mm-hmm. that if you consider business as usual emissions... If everybody went vegetarian, it would cut emissions by 63%. And that blew my mind. And then it said for veganism, it would drop 70%. And that just... Because I know a lot of people are not willing to give up so much. But I think you have to think about it as a combination. If like one person didn't change and one person went vegan... That still makes a large combined difference. And that definitely blew my mind statistically wise. That's awesome. That even if still people if people still ate like cheese and eggs, like it still drops sixty three percent. That's huge to me. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I've talked about drawdown once or twice maybe okay. on the podcast, like just really briefly. Yeah. Um, I probably started reading it like a year ago, just like casually for fun. It was my coffee table book. And then when people would come over, we'd open it up and talk about things. Um, but my favorite thing from that is that food as a topic is split up between like different concerns they have in the book. So the book is Mm -hmm. broken down for those of y'all who like are not familiar with drawdown, um, in seven sections and it's like materials, transportation, buildings and cities, Mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. So like, um, methane landfill methane is almost entirely like a product of food waste Mm -hmm. in um landfills and people don't always realize that just because it's an organic material so just because it's food waste that's going to a landfill it's not going to biodegrade and it breaks down anaerobically we end up with Mm -hmm. methane which is i want to say 23 24 times yeah Yeah. i want to say it's 24 times like more potent Mm -hmm. than CO2 as a global warming 
uh, greenhouse gas. So it's just interesting to think about like waste is a problem from a social perspective. Like there are people who don't have enough food and there are people who are throwing away food. And then from an environmental perspective, like such a huge portion of our environmental concerns like our greenhouse gas emissions are actually just from like letting food sit and not being smart about how we dispose of it so yeah that's my final thing it's just like don't send your food to a landfill it is so unnecessary it's such a waste of i mean like first of all space like just the amount of space in a landfill that food takes up that it doesn't need to it's a waste Mm -hmm. of emissions like let's just like allow cows to make up all of the methane that we have to worry about and like if we don't have to add to it that's great and it's just like silly to not talk about composting more so that's my little plug compost yeah Yeah. right well i want to like say cheers but we're all out of drinks so thank you thank you guys (laughs) thanks for hanging out cheers anyways cheers anyways I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you would like to get in touch with Tristan or Liz, please send me an email, send me a DM, and I'm really happy to put you in contact. I don't want to put their contact information in the show notes down below just because they are regular people and didn't really sign up for their emails to be shared on the internet. So if you want to get in touch with them, I'm sure either of them would be more than happy to talk to you about their expertise, ways that you can get involved in the food question. But otherwise, feel free to email me at laura at lauraediaz.com, which is always in the show notes. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram at Laura E. Diaz. Otherwise, I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening and have a good day.